Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we discuss every episode of Call the Midwife one by one. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. Should I keep saying that? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like a shtick. It's a shtick. You should ma- also you should always make it clear that you're not that kind of doctor. I am not that kind of doctor. <laughs> this week we are talking about the fifth episode of season two of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by China Mu Young and written by Heidi Thomas. Heidi Thomas, of course, is the showrunner and creator of the series. And China Mu Young, this is her first but not last episode of Call the Midwife, so we will see her again. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned to the end of this episode. We have a special guest on today, uh, our friend Anne-Marie Plennert, who's going to be talking about some of the themes from a more medical perspective. This is a thing we had imagined from before we even started making Call the Midwife, mm-hmm. was that we would occasionally have in guests to speak from a more authoritative or expert position, because mm-hmm. as I don't know if I've mentioned, I'm not that kind of doctor. It's true. And I am a librarian. <laughs> <laughs> So when we get to the end of this, uh, our recap, we'll chat with her. So you can look forward to that or rewind or fast forward to it. But, you know, don't do that. Don't, don't skip us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into the recap of this episode. We begin with our mature Jenny narration. She narrates about the big families in the East End and the magic pill that hadn't arrived yet. Sister Monica Joan prepares for a trip to the mother house, and a mother in Poplar, Nora, washes her in her kitchen and feels her abdomen. Sister Monica Joan tosses her prayer habit out the window, causing delay. Trixie finds it on one of the neighborhood children. Sister Monica Joan is frustrated with having to leave and is feeling useless. The vicar's wife comes to talk to Sister Julianne about their yearly fete, with a bigger and better profit, this time for the clinic. She encourages them to have a baby show with a famous judge. Sister Monica Joan collapses at the bus stop with Sister Evangelina and is taken to the hospital. Sister Bernadette goes to Sister Julienne to talk to her, but a call from the hospital interrupts them. Nora Harding visits the clinic to confirm she's pregnant with her ninth child. She's upset and leaves without the routine checks. Nora goes to the herbalist to complain that her remedy did not get rid of the baby and ends up getting into a physical fight in the street. Nora cries and her husband comforts her. So do you want to start by talking about Sister Monica Joan and yeah. Sister Evangelina? Let's talk like, about them. <laughs> this is not, this is a very familiar uh, <laughs> story from Sister Monica Joan. I mean, it's comic, but also full of pathos. She wants yeah. to be useful. She wants to be useful, and her desire to be useful causes trouble. And it's this paradox of, like, she wants to be helpful, but she can't be helpful, and her desire to be helpful makes her actually a nuisance. Mm-hmm. She would be more helpful by just not getting in the way, but it's... I mean, that's a tale as old as time. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's like, that's so harsh to be mm-hmm. like, you're, you know how you can be useful? Stop being a nuisance. But like, she wants to actually, the she's aware that she's a nuisance. Mm-hmm. She's aware that she's a burden and that's hard. And that's really hard to adjust to and, and yeah. cope with, right? Mm-hmm. She wants to do something useful and we see her refusing to go on vacation when, like, Sister Evangelina needs vacation too. I know, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, yeah, it's and it's also, once again, this, like, odd couple between Sister yeah. Monica Joan <laughs> like, and Sister Evangelina. going on vacation together? Exactly. Just because... Well, they're both they're both nuns who need a break, but it's it's this yeah, Sister Evangelina, who is so hardworking, needs a break and is getting to have one, and Sister Monica Joan, who's basically in the way and needs a break because they need a break from her, doesn't want to go, mm-hmm. and. I love their uh, Jane and I think Cynthia are like ushering Sister Monica Joan out the door and being like, it's okay, you can go. And Sister Evangelina is like, you guys get back to your work. I'm going to take her. We're going to get out of here. We're not going to miss our bus. While we're talking about this, it's not the main thrust of the story, but I just can't let it pass without pointing out. She throws her habit out the window and some kid puts it on and is like biking around on it and Trixie comes out and says, take that off before you go to hell! I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trixie. <laughs> oh, Trixie. It's I had to a like great... pause the show. It's a great moment of her, yeah, finding it, <laughs> the habit. Before you go to hell. <laughs> Uh, oh mercy! Yep. And this is like, though, I mean, the episode is going to be is going to be about uh, giving help that's needed mm-hmm. and being unable to give help that's needed. Yeah. So, Sister Monica, this is like a character note of Sister Monica Joan that continues that has been present from the beginning and is like important to who she is. But it's also important to what the episode is about. It's about wanting to give help mm-hmm. and not being able to, for one reason or another, not being able to give the kind of help that is helpful. Yes, right? absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of that, the vicar's wife also is trying to give help that isn't helpful. Yes, exactly. The vicar's wife in slacks. Scandalous. Yes. Scandalous vicar's wife in slacks. We had um, Trixie in slacks recently. Yes, she's but not she's the not the wife. vicar's wife. That's, That's a true. big difference. She's not a married woman of a man of the cloth. <laughs> um, I don't know if we ever get the vicar's wife's name. If we do, I didn't write it down. I forgot to write it down as well, so... Probably she does have one, but uh, she, yeah, should they have this annual fete? The proceeds always go to like missionaries, and she has this like progressive idea that the money could stay right here in Poplar, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, this is like a really good idea. She is spot on to what needs to happen. Is some of this money needs to stay right here where it's needed, and. But that's difficult for Sister Julian to wrap her mind around when, like, to accept that money is very difficult. Mm -hmm. But she, you know, the church council decided it. You guys are doing it. Go to it. And then this idea of, like, a baby show. 
And it's like, I think it's partly accepting the money is difficult for Sister Julienne because it's a change, but it's also, it's a little bit like what we saw with Dr. Turner, the vicar's wife, has big modernizing ideas that change things and create mm-hmm. work for everyone. And that doesn't mean they're bad ideas. Yeah. Uh, but it's like the kind of help that's helpful. It actually, it is both, right? Like the mm-hmm. money is helpful. Yeah. This is a good idea, I think. Uh, but it's the, like but the work to make to make the fet happen falls on the nuns falls themselves. On the nuns. So do this, and you'll have to do all this extra work, and it'll be great. Okay, bye. Yep. And it's like some kind of help is the kind of help we all can do without. Yeah. Do you know that? Uh, <laughs> it's from uh, Free to Be Free You be and me. me. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh. So let's uh, let's save Nora for last. So Sister Monica Joan collapses at the bus stop, gets taken to the hospital. Before that, can before they can call Nanata's house, Sister Bernadette, who we have seen have these moments of doubts, goes into Sister Julian's office and is like, "I need to talk to you." And we, you know, as the audience, we have seen what is coming. She is really struggling and needs to talk to her. Yeah, and. Sister Julianne gets this phone call and then her reaction is, you know, stay just as you are. Do nothing. Change nothing. You know, don't. I don't know what I would do without you. I'm like, oh, that's the worst possible thing for her to have said in that moment. Because that just like piles on the extra guilt. And Sister Julianne doesn't mean it to. She's very well-meaning. But of course, this is piling on this extra pain onto sister bernadette it reminds me of this moment from in the movie inside out Mm. (laughs) when the kid is having all these crises about moving and her mom says can you just keep being the happy girl that you've always been yeah and like the answer is no i can't be yeah but she tries her best and it her mom means well and is trying to be encouraging it's the same kind of like no, I can't just keep as I am. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to really try to. And it's once again the theme of the episode of being helpful, what's helpful and what isn't. Mm-hmm. That, like Sister Bernadette goes to Sister uh, Julianne for help that Sister Julianne isn't able to give her. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the episode, we'll see more about this. But yes. just at this moment, it's just, it's heartbreaking that that's... The circumstances that happen. And, you know, and it has its humor, too, of course. Yeah. Like, you watch this and it's kind of funny that, like, you know why she's going into that office. And then the end, the moment happens that, like, don't do anything. Just, I love you. Just stay exactly the way you are. Do not leave me at all. <laughs> you know, like. And you can almost hear the, like, Exactly, exactly. So let's move on to Nora. Who is yeah. the main, this is the main story of this episode. There's there's these kind of three different plots, but uh, but Nora is the main one. And Nora is mostly dealing with Jenny. Mm-hmm. So she, we see a lot of her even before she goes to the clinic. She is in her home. Their home is very small. They've got kids running around. The husband is not doesn't have enough work he's home in the middle of the day and she's questioning on you know oh you didn't get work today so we see the struggles beforehand and then her at the clinic 
and Jenny's so happy, you know, oh, you're 17 weeks, you know, oh, some, like, she can tell she's a little older, oh, some older mothers come around to the idea, and it's like, I'm not an older mother, this is just, yeah, I've just been having kids forever, like, she's, this is her ninth kid, yeah, and her, and her next youngest is a baby in the pram. Yeah. We've seen before mothers who like, my, my, my last kid is 16. I can't have a new baby. And that's like what Jenny is assuming. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, No, not at all. It's just. And then she goes. And so we immediately see that like this baby is unwanted by her. She is not happy to be pregnant. And she goes to, she's gone to this herbalist already for like a remedy. And so this, uh, Herbalist is obviously, you know, word of mouth will get rid of your baby. But, you know, the minute she goes to her door and is like, I'm still pregnant, still in the family way. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I gave you medicine for stomach cramps. Yeah. And this is like, I feel like something that still happens today is like. Plausible plausible deniability. deniability. I just gave you medicine for whatever. If you thought that that would uh, cause a miscarriage or an abortion that's your confusion yeah not mine and it's uh interesting because abortion was illegal at this time but like the whole street knows what's going on like they're they see nora wanting to get rid of this baby they it's not a secret yeah so moving on uh sister monica joan has angina possibly not real angina (laughs) (laughs) Sister Julienne sends Sister Evangelina away, despite Sister Evangelina's guilt in leaving. Sister Julienne convinces Sister Monica Joan to come home by eating her pudding. (laughs) The nurses discuss who should judge the baby show, and Trixie teases Jane about the reverend. So obviously they're still together. Jane encourages Sister Monica Joan to knit. Nora and her husband discuss the pregnancy and how they can't afford another one. She cries over the possibility of getting pregnant again and again and again. Trixie, Cynthia, and Jenny drink and discuss the famous men they could get for the baby show as Sister Bernadette walks by. Jenny visits Nora and sees the conditions they're in and how Nora doesn't want another child. Sister Bernadette and Dr. Turner meet in the clinic kitchen and discuss what the clinic needs from the baby fat, making eyes at each other before Timothy interrupts them. In an appointment with Dr. Turner, Nora asks to have her tubes tied, but the doctor refuses. I love this scene in the hospital uh, with Sister Julianne and Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina to a lesser degree, but... uh, Mostly with Sister Monica Joan and Sister Juliet when Sister Juliet, Sister Monica Joan has the pudding. And she's like, it's so great. If I eat it, they will say that I'm better and send me home. And Sister Julianne's like, well, then I'll eat it. (laughs) If they eat it, if you eat it, they'll think it's gone. Either way, you're coming home. So it's simply a matter of who gets the pudding. Yep. I don't know if that has a big thematic significance, but it's one of my favorite Sister Julianne moments so far. It's so funny. Yeah. I feel I feel like it's just like, Sister Julianne is so smart 
And yeah. so, and knows exactly how to deal with a lot of situations. And here's another one. And she can deal with the situations with, like, we've seen Sister Evangelina deal with situations with humor. Like, she farts mm-hmm. in front of uh, <laughs> Mrs. Jenkins or whatever. And we've seen Sister Julianne as very competent. And this is, you know, an example of Sister Julianne knowing how to use humor and and trickery to her advantage. It's simply a matter of who gets the pudding. Yeah. I mean, if there is actually... If there is a thematic meaning to this moment, it's one of these moments that we've seen from the nuns before of, like, Jenny's idealism uh, isn't the nun's perspective. Mm, And we see that with, like, it's simply a matter of who gets the pudding. This is a statement of, like, the world is what it is, and we deal with the world we have. Yeah. And you're coming home one way or the other. Mm Mm-hmm. The only question is, who gets the pudding? The only question is, what do we do with the moment we have right in front of us? We can't change the facts that are in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a humorous expression of that same idea, but it's the same. I feel like it's kind of the same idea as in however many episodes ago when Sister Evangelina was like, sometimes you cut your losses mm-hmm. and say that the world is what the world is. Yeah, exactly. And that's really hard for the younger nuns, the younger nurses, I mean. But mm-hmm. the more experienced, the older nuns especially, are like... And we see, we're see we going to see that later in this episode, that uh, Sister Julianne, I'm not to step on the toes of what's coming, but Sister Julianne's going to say, do you think that I haven't seen this before? Yeah. It's kind of the same attitude mm-hmm. of like, the world that we have is the world that we have, and uh, wishing it was a different world doesn't change it. Yeah. Wishing you were in the hospital doesn't put you in the hospital, Sister Monica Joan. Mm-hmm. You're coming home and I'm eating your pudding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think I did pretty well making meaning out of that little scene. I think you did. Good Pat job. Pat yourself on the back. Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> Let's talk about Sister Bernadette for a minute again. Yeah. Uh, so we have... Trixie, Cynthia, and Jenny having their their giggly nurses moment, which usually happens once an episode where they're all in someone's room and sometimes it's sad and often it's happy. And this time they're like discussing what men they can get to judge the baby show. Jane is the one originally who suggests getting a man, which is brilliant on her behalf. Yeah. And then the three of them are giggling together and uh and they like go to close, close the door. Oh no, the the nuns are in the great silence. But Sister Bernadette is walking by outside. And it's again, Sister Bernadette is on the outside. She wants to be in and with those young giggling nuns, giggling nurses, but she's not. She's a nun. And she, they literally shut her out. They literally shut her out. And they don't ever mean to. No. And she, I mean, like. They don't realize that it's hurting her. Well, and she's, she is a nun. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, it's not that they're. You know, she is, she's made the choices that she's made and she's now thinking uh, differently about them. And we can see regretting some of them, mm-hmm. um, but she has made the choices that she's made and they're not excluding her to be mean. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I watched recently uh, during COVID times, they were having these like live called the midwife uh, things on Facebook where they had the actors talk about certain episodes and I watched an episode where uh, the actors who play Sister Bernadette, uh, Dr. Turner and Timothy were talking about 
the kitchen of destiny that they joked that the kitchen in the clinic was the kitchen of destiny. And so we had seen, we've seen Sister Bernadette sewing on the button on Dr. Turner's coat earlier in the season in that kitchen. And then in this episode, especially you have them (laughs) making eyes at each other. And later in the episode, the more significant moment, but you're seeing these two come together and it's, just every time it's in that kitchen. I had not noticed until it was pointed out in that live chat <laughs> that, wait a minute, it is the kitchen of destiny. Always in the kitchen. It's always in the kitchen. Courting in the kitchen. <laughs> yep, exactly. And I love that she is, like Sister Julianne, she's like, well, we don't need much more. It's fine. Well, I mean, except this, 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 and this. But yeah. when you're used to something being not good it's hard to ask for more yeah and i mean i can relate to this in an industry where we rely on government funding and there that's always being cut you don't want to ask for things lest you get cut more or you know and like and so sometimes we'll have fundraised money and they're like how do you want to spend this money and you're like well how can i spend it so i can get a lot of stuff but you end up getting like poor quality things because you're like, well, I need to get as much as I can with mm-hmm. this small amount of money. And you, or like, you don't want to ask, like, you're not used to asking. So I can really understand Sister Bernadette in this moment, not wanting to ask for too much, even though they really need it. Like, they don't have enough hot water. They don't have, an, they're using these like outdated technology for these lamps and things. Well, in the, I mean, I know this also from hearing you talk about uh, York, but also from Call the Midwife, that like, what do you need? Well, we don't need anything because we are managing with what we have. Mm -hmm. That like, we can cope with not enough. So we don't actually need anything else. So he says, okay, what do you want? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. And what does she want? And this is like a key thing for Sister Bernadette. She does not know what she, she wants. She does not know what she wants. That's the wrong person to ask. Yes, exactly. Or maybe the right person to ask. Mm-hmm. Speaking of poverty, mm-hmm. we see uh, Nora and the Hardings. Mm-hmm. And we see their poverty in like a number of ways. As you said, he's home in the middle of the day and their apartment is very small. Um, And we see when they talk about contraception Mm -hmm. was one of the things that really stood out to me in this section. Yeah. Is that like, okay, you have eight kids. You don't want any more. You know you're not, you don't want any more. So think beyond this one and like... Well, can I uh, get surgery? No. Mm-hmm. Can I get contraception? Who will pay for that? Well, you will. Well, I can't afford to. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, on as an ongoing contraception costs money, mm-hmm. and it's an ongoing cost. And then it's like, they hint around it, but it's like, basically... What if we just don't have sex? Well, we pay for that in other ways. Yeah, that was one of the mo- the lines that really stuck with me, too. Mm-hmm. She says to Jenny, actually, uh, the ways to stop having babies, you pay for that in other ways. Mm-hmm. 
and we see them being like a loving uh marriage yeah and they talk about it later on he's like you know we have our fun she's you don't dog you have to force me like they enjoy each other and they like of course they're a married couple and uh and this is you know like they're really poor what else do they have for fun <laughs> It's not like they can go out on date nights. Like, come on. What else are you going to do for fun? What else are you going to do for fun? (laughs) No, but like, but but seriously. It does cost something. And it's. But seriously, like, and it's this uh, idea that women have been given in the past and in the. Right now, that like, well, you're just. You're doing it to satisfy your husband that's why you have sex and like well of course women throughout history enjoy it and Nora is one of them and of course she does and so like putting it all on her to be like well I guess I'll just sleep with the kids or whatever it doesn't work that way when yeah. you want when you have a loving marriage yeah so yeah. all she needs is some contraception and she can't have it and she can't have it and it's just drives me crazy because this is an ongoing debate. This is not a, you know, this is not a 1950s thing. This is something that uh, employers in the States don't want to have birth control on their uh, health insurance. For for what? For what reason? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And it's painful that this situation can still happen today because of that yeah so the next section we have uh sister monica joan uh sorry i don't have this actually written down but sister monica joan uh is noticed that she's being useless and so she finally figures out how she can be useful and that is to roll bandages so jane and cynthia unroll the pre-rolled bandages for her Fred, meanwhile, constructs a coconut shy. A photographer takes pictures of the nurses and babies. The photographer asks for Jenny's number, which she shoots down. Trixie visits TV studio to ask Clifford Rains to be a judge, unknowingly flirting with the man himself. He later calls to say yes and to ask her out. Nora tries to induce miscarriage with a hot bath. Well, we hear the nurses sing. It once again fails, and Jenny catches her the next day having Epsom salts and notices a large bruise. Jenny warns her off of having an abortion because of the fear of death. But after she leaves, her husband arrives with knitting needles. Sister Monica Joan announces that Sister Bernadette is spending all of her time praying in the chapel, and Sister Julian finally talks to her and finds that she is doubting her orders. So Sister Monica Joan rolling bandages is like funny and sad and they never actually call like I kept expecting Sister Bern- Sister Julianne to find out about it and be like guys you can't do that but they never actually do she just no. rolls some bandages but like she's remembering when she was a you know, midwife and that they would roll bandages. So that's what I can do. And she doesn't know that they don't, they come rolled to them. They come pre-rolled. They come pre-rolled. So Jane and Cynthia give her this busy work that is useless, but she feels useful. And I don't know how I feel about that. I feel yeah, like, me too. I feel like it was, 
it was wrong, but it was right. <laughs> because her feelings matter. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the, the purpose of that work is only to make Sister Monica Joan feel better. Yeah. But making Sister Monica Joan feel better is a worthy task. Yeah. Even if Sister Monica Joan's the one that has to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And this the very first episode of Call the Midwife sets that up, right? Yeah. We honor her. She's a uh, uh, senior sister who's devoted her life and we honor her now. And it's our honor to care for her. Mm-hmm. And if what caring for her means is making her feel useful even though she's not, that's a worthwhile task. The show has told us that from the very beginning. Hmm. And it continues to show that, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. But on the other hand... But on the other hand... She feels useless (laughs) because she is. Yeah. And she would feel more useful if you gave her something that was actually useful. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that is. Well, the thing is, she thinks that knitting and handicrafts is useless, but they want to sell those at the stall, which will make money for the... Yeah for the clinic so that actually is useful but she sees it as useless handicrafts yeah. unfortunately yeah it's again like people who want to help in ways that aren't necessarily helpful or aren't they aren't able to help in the ways that they want to help mm-hmm. like through this whole episode when we have uh speaking of sister monica joan she, like, when the vicar's wife is around and she's, like, talking all about it, she's back again being a bit of a busybody. Yeah. That is, <laughs> you know, again, like, helpful but not helpful. Yeah. Um, and Sister Monica Jones says, when we're not working, we're praying. And she accidentally or uh, without realizing what she's saying or the significance of what she's saying, she tells everyone that Sister Bernadette spends day and night in the praying in the chapel Mm -hmm. and that like that's not a bad thing but it is a symptom of distress that sister Bernadette doesn't want publicized what sister Monica Jones says to sister Bernadette she says we we spend all our time in the chapel praying and sister Bernadette says no we don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) and sister Monica Jones says you do yeah and even now no face divine contentment wears, she says, which is a quote from uh, Alexander Pope, Eloise to Abelard. Mm. So it's uh, Eloise to Abelard, your face divine contentment wears when you are satisfied and have everything. It's an, such an appropriate quotation because yes. Eloise and, he- and uh, Heloise and Abelard are like famous romantic couple who go off and be a priest and an uh, monk and a nun mm-hmm. and don't aren't together yeah uh and so sister bernadette as a nun who isn't with someone that she wants to be with perhaps mm-hmm. would is a little mini reflection of eloise whose face now does not wear divine contentment because yeah. she's not with her true love mm-hmm. or you know maybe not true I don't know. there's <laughs> there's things happening exactly <laughs> 
And this, obviously, her saying that clues Sister Julianne to like, oh, yeah, we were having that conversation that we never got to finish. Yeah. Let's have that now. I'm glad so that finally, she's able to have that conversation. It's one of the rare moments when we see Sister Julianne kind of failing in her uh, duties of care mm-hmm. because she's the, what's the, I don't know, like. She's the boss of them. <laughs> yeah, she's not the mother, but she's the, yeah, she's in charge of... She's in charge of the nuns, and so her, like, the spiritual well-being of the nuns that is under her care. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that she comes back to it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Last little bit about Sister Monica Joan I'm just gonna pick on in this section, yep. which is in the FET, uh, Sister Monica Joan sees all the babies and, and says... Uh, are babies more valued now because they can survive or do they survive because they're more valued? Yeah. She talks like about, it used to be. That no, we they would just play in the gutter. Play we in the gutter and no one cared. And now we take such, such care of babies. Are they more valued because they can survive or do they survive because they're more valued? And then she just wanders off. Mm-hmm. But that's a profound question it not is. just of childcare, but also of uh human interaction mm-hmm. <laughs> of like how do we treat each other yeah. in general not just in childcare. Mm-hmm. are they more valued because they can survive or do they survive because they're more valued yeah is nora's baby in more trouble if it's born mm. is what i think about when i think about that to connect it back to the abortion story is nor there's the scene I, we didn't i didn't mention it in my recap before of uh nora's eighth child in a pram just outside the door and she gets bit by a rat or he or she gets bit by a rat yeah, on the cheek it. <laughs> yeah it's really gross um it's awful. it's awful and she's unable to give her children the care they deserve because there's so many of them yeah and she knows that this ninth child will be just as like neglected not because she doesn't love it but because there's only so much to go around yeah and so her uh her ninth child in utero is not precious to her because uh and it's the question, is it not precious because it can't survive? Yeah. Or is it, because it can't survive because it's not precious. it won't be able to survive? Or does she decide that it can't survive because it won't be precious? Exactly. Like two sides of the same coin. And you're right. That scene with the baby in the hallway and the rat is like such, is really important actually to, mm-hmm. it's just as important as them being sad and poor. Is that like best intentions? She can't give her children the care that they need. Yeah, and oh, and this the one thing I didn't mention before as well is the council is giving houses to those who are living in tenements like they are. The city is giving better housing to because they're living in such poverty, but. Because, but they have to have a certain number of bedrooms for a certain number of children. And so they 
need uh, like a whatever a four bedroom house for their eight kids, but the council isn't giving away four bedroom houses, so they can just live in their two bedroom squalor. Like what? Yeah, is that? And that is again not a like the bureaucracy of that is still going on today things like that because them in three bedrooms would be overcrowded so stay in your two bedrooms Mm -hmm. but like it's the it's kind of the trolley problem yeah right like if we give them an overcrowded thing then it's our fault they're in an overcrowded thing if we do nothing and ignore them and let them live in squalor then we didn't actually cause it yep so we can pretend that it's not our legal and moral responsibility exactly and that is that relates back to the abortion story where if we make abortion illegal and then we ignore the fact that women are having back alley abortions and uh unable to support their and we don't support their eight children then we can just keep it illegal Ooh, you are so very right I didn't quite connect. That the cost to society of lack of abortion, of illegal abortions, is the poverty of the nation, is the poverty of, like, you're you're not supporting them on either end. Well, yeah, and what, well, what you said, I'm going to paraphrase because it, I hadn't connected it, and it feels like I, I really should have, uh, but that... The law um, preventing people from living in th- with eight in three bedrooms doesn't prevent people from living eight in three bedrooms. It mm-hmm. just has them live that way unsupported, unhelped, and worse off than they would other be wise yep. be. Exactly. And it's the same. The law against abortion doesn't prevent abortions from happening mm-hmm. any more than the law about having to have four bedrooms puts them in a four-bedroom home. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I like that insight. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so she has a hot bath... Mm-hmm. To induce miscarriage uh, unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. She does all the things... I mean, when you think about uh, all the things you avoid when you're pregnant to stay pregnant, she's basically trying to do the opposite of, like, let's lift heavy things, throw ourselves down the stairs. We don't see her do that, but that's practically what she might have done to get that bruise. The bruise is like, and yeah, like something... To have Epsom salts is something you take to that can uh, is bad for pregnancy, and so I'll take the Epsom salts. Like anything she's been told to not do while pregnant, well, then I'm going to do them all. Yeah, and see what happens. But it doesn't work. It's not working. And as often as the case, we have un, uh, we cut between the nun singing and things happening out in the world. Mm-hmm. And as she's having this hot bath, what we hear. Is the nun singing uh, Psalm 51. They're doing their their psalm. Uh, in the Psalm 51, the part that we particularly hear them singing is uh, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Hmm. And so we have a psalm about washing and cleansing as she's taking a bath. Uh, and we have... Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing mercy. 
and according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity. Hmm. And they're like, it's not her iniquity that she wants to wash away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that intercut with a scene of wash, trying to wash away her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we're cutting between. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we don't hear them sing, but later in the uh, psalm, surely I was sinful at birth. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't know. There's a there's a sense even in the psalm of, uh, in the language of the psalm, it's of sin, but in the language of uh, the story, it's just of pain mm-hmm. that starts with conception yeah so uh moving on to a different uh plot line is uh trixie and dating so earlier in the episode uh the photographer who's taking these pictures of the babies asks jenny for her number and she says no and then later on she's talking to trixie about it and she's like the only phone number i have answers <laughs> with nanata's house midwife speaking and trixie's like yeah I, I, if they can get past that they can get to me kind of thing and so then clifford rains who she meets at the movie studio who like she mistakes she doesn't know that it's him yeah uh even though it's fairly obvious, Even that, it's fairly it's obvious that it's him. She, uh, he calls and gets that answer and talks to her anyway. So she's like passed her little test of how yeah. to talk to her. And she's excited to, you know, go on a date with a movie star, or TV star or whatever. None of them even know who he, he is because they don't have a television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that takes us into our next section. Yes. Which is... In a scene that cuts back and forth, Nora invites the abortionist into her kitchen and has an abortion while Trixie is getting ready for her date with Clifford. Nora collapses onto her bed. Trixie arrives at Clifford's apartment to find that he's prepared a meal at his home rather than going out. Clifford gives Trixie a drink and then assaults her. She runs off down the street and back to Nanatis, where Jenny and Cynthia take care of her. The next day at the Fete, Nora's family arrives without her, leaving her in bed. Her husband runs into Jenny and confesses that they won't need a midwife anymore. Jenny immediately knows what's happening, runs to Sister Julienne, and they race to Nora, finding her bleeding and in pain. She's taken away to the hospital with a perforated uterus, while Jenny and Sister Julian scrub the apartment. At the fete, Sister Bernadette runs the three-legged race with Timothy, mm-hmm. because Dr. Turner is tending to Nora. Dr. Turner arrives to see her trip at the finish line. She hurts her hand, and he helps her in the kitchen. They have an intimate moment where he kisses her hand. Sister Bernadette turns away, but is very conflicted. Clifford Rains does not show up to judge the baby show, but Jane gets on stage and announces that Sister Monica Joan will step in in his place. Lastly, Nora's family gathers around her to say goodbye. 
but she survives, and the family moves to the country. Mature Jenny's last words speak of her daughter's and granddaughter's lives being transformed by birth control that came too late for her. Well, this little section is the payoff of everything, right? Yeah. So I should say we'll talk a lot about this scene in our discussion with our friend at the end of the episode. So, so let's give so the we'll, abortion scene like short trip. Yeah, right we'll now. we'll talk a little bit about it now, but we'll also know that we're going to get into it more later as well. But still, this scene, this scene with the cutting back and forth between Trixie getting ready and, and like Trixie's using these like cuticle things and like she's painting her nails bright red, and then the bright red echoes the blood that's happening. Yeah, and the abortionist arrives with like. Her daughter, I assume, who's like 15. (laughs) She's so young, helping her out. And Nora uh, just like grits her teeth and is like, it's awful. It's awful. It's so so painful. And these instruments that are unsterilized and it's not. It's just horrific to watch. And the cutting back and forth between uh, Nora and Trixie is one of these, like, it's very compelling and moving. Uh, I'm not sure I can articulate what it is, what it is? saying. Yeah. Like, on one hand, it's about, uh, I mean, it's about Trixie being worried about frivolous uh superficialities when something so harrowing and life and death and desperate is happening Mm -hmm. the other hand trixie's storyline is also not uh her life is never in danger but also turns fairly harrowing i feel like uh and let me just kind of speak this out so i understand it if it's correct or not is Trixie's getting ready for her date with Clifford and we know afterwards that her date with Clifford is not going to go well. Mm-hmm. He is going to assault her. She's getting ready uh, as if she could go and have sex with him. Yeah. She doesn't want to, but she's getting ready as if she is. And so it feels a little like this is, we're seeing two halves of the same story of like, this is Trixie and this is the end of what could happen. This is like the beginning of starting to date and fall in love. And this is the end and what can happen at the end of that. If you don't have access to proper care. Um, And the instruments of like, You use instruments all the time. Like she's using these things to do her nails and those instruments, it's almost the exact same instruments that are used for the abortion. And it's like, there aren't, she's not doing like Trixie has access to medical instruments. She's not doing her nails with medical instruments and they're they're not not doing doing the abortion abortion with with medical medical instruments. instruments. Right. Uh, Do you want to talk about Trixie? Let's talk about Trixie because it's so uh, red flags from the moment she steps into this date. 
is like you don't know it like at first he's kind of like you know you're he's a uh, slime ball even before <laughs> she has a date with him but you know he could be anything i mean they're like but the charming flirting where he doesn't tell her who she is is like yeah especially in retrospect is like a big red flag because yeah. he has power over her and enjoys having exactly. knowledge and power that she doesn't have and that's what that conversation is especially when you look back on it yeah exactly sorry so, I interrupted. no that's on. fine that's exactly what it is is he's he's overly charming and so the second she steps into his apartment and like suddenly it's like oh we're not going out to eat he's made food and we're staying in his apartment and he's making like these fancy alcoholic drinks and trixie's not stupid Mm -hmm. she sees these red flags but she's still like charmed by it yeah even though she wanted to go to the dorchester she wanted to go someplace fancy of course uh and she's you know she's charming herself and you know she has the drink and she's like oh you know he's like offering her another and she's like well it's not really the drink i could pass off is mostly umbrella like she's we've seen trixie drink plenty she drinks all the time at like the nanana's house but like she knows her limits Mm -hmm. she's saying like no i don't want another drink and he immediately moves into like her space he puts his hands up her he's uh, and she says no very firmly. She's uh, yeah. she's been charmed into a stupid situation. Yeah. She immediately when she she runs away, which good for her. Uh, and then bl- immediately blames herself, which it's not her fault at all. Yeah, and we've seen. I mean, in season two, especially here in the second half of season two, we're starting to see more and more depth from Trixie. Mm-hmm. But we've seen Trixie as very ditzy and flighty and mm-hmm. flirty. And like, I think there's something important about uh, this moment that humanizes mm-hmm. and uh, adds depth to Trixie that is necessary and i'm glad it's not the first time we give her depth Mm -hmm. but it's like yeah she is an expert in flirting and she wanted to go out and we don't like we don't know what her whole intentions for the whole night are but we do know that she doesn't want what happens like she doesn't want him sticking his hand up her dress at that moment Mm -hmm. right uh and that the, I think it's important that like this, to show this like flighty, flirty, blonde does not make her, I don't know how to, what I'm saying, <laughs> like, it, it doesn't mean that she is what he assumes she is. It yeah. doesn't mean that he is what, uh, that she is what he sees her as mm-hmm. when he says like, we both know you wanted this. Um, I feel like the shallow reading, uh, we've, we, our first impression of Trixie might have been tempted to be his first impression of Trixie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's also, by the way, yet another example, not of help, but of she wanted something from him that he wasn't, I mean, it was help actually. She mm-hmm. wanted him to be a famous judge and also like be kind to her but she wanted something from him that he 
couldn't or yeah. wouldn't give her. Mm-hmm. And then we see that uh, double down when he doesn't show up to judge the thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, we finally get to the fet. Mm-hmm. L- looks like it's being well attended. It's a huge success that I'm super proud of like all of them pulling it off <laughs> we haven't talked about the Cub Scouts doing a Robin Hood show yes. and Timothy as Maid Marion yes poor Timothy ah. <laughs> they do a great job they all do great jobs yeah Fred is like pulled together this whole thing and uh, Cynthia's had to play the piano because Jenny is too busy and it's it's amazing yeah it's uh, been, it, it looks like a blast it does <laughs> it does and uh dr turner has to leave partway through the performance or he i think he catches almost the whole performance but he has to leave because uh like jenny and sister bernadette call him away Mm -hmm. so this is once again poor timothy being left behind by his dad but sister bernadette is there to fill in this time we've seen i mean we saw earlier them talking about the three-legged race yeah the three-legged race before so this was seeded yeah that they've timothy's been looking forward to doing the three-legged race with his father Mm -hmm. and he does it in the end with sister bernadette instead and this is like i mean let's we've been not very, but we've been a little bit coy about the, like, there's blossoming things between Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette. We haven't so much thrown attention on, and it's, I quite love, there's also really blossoming things between Timothy and Sister Bernadette. Yeah. Quite apart from, I mean, maybe intertwined with, but we are seeing it quite apart from her relationship, growing infatuation with Dr. Turner. She has this growing affection with Timothy. Yeah, exactly. That is like that he need that he needs he this needs kind of someone. this mother figure, and she is stepping into that role. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love them doing a three legged race together. Mm-hmm. And then the moment in the kitchen where he kisses her hand, oh. and like it's the most romantic kiss ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a shipper. Um, it's. Uh, it's just, it is a very romantic moment, even though it's such a, like, like little peck on her hand. But it's a big deal, because she's a nun. Yeah. And, uh, she turns away, she's, and, uh, he, f- he feels terrible about it, and she's like, just to be clear, I'm not turning away because of you, I'm turning away because of him, meaning God. And, and he's like, I'm, I would be horrible if I didn't accept that. And so she's, you know, she's very conflicted. She wants to be with Dr. Turner, but it's a, it's an actual difficult decision. Yeah. And I think that a lesser show wouldn't make it as difficult a decision as it is. Yeah. I agree. Um. So Clifford doesn't, you mentioned Clifford doesn't show up to judge the baby show. Oh, oh, go on. So you're, I know you're excited about what I'm excited about. So Jane gets up and announces that sister oh. Monica Jones going to do it. And so that's like the two things Step are like, one. Jane, who's now like in a relationship with the, the reverend has enough courage to get up on stage and talk into a microphone. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I, it's I so... wanted to cry when she just went up and is the one who does the announcement. I know, like it's she's such a huge deal for it's her. It's a huge deal for her. It's such beautiful growth. And then 
Sister Monica Joan can do something useful. This isn't actually, this isn't rolling bandages. This is an actual useful thing that needs to be done. And to show that she's a respected member of the community. Yeah. She's delivered many of these women in the, many of these people in the audience. Yeah. She was there to welcome them into the world. And now she gets to judge their babies. (laughs) Judge their babies. I'm glad we don't get to see who wins the baby show. Because like. (laughs) I can't remember which of the midwives is like. I'm not sure about this whole judging babies <laughs> yeah, thing. I know, right? I'm like, I'm with them. But yeah, okay. But whatever. <laughs> whatever. There's more losers than winners. I can't remember who says it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's Cynthia, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Cynthia says there's more losers than winners, and Trixie probably is like, oh, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, the other plots outside of Nora. That moment. I mean, you said it, but I want to just stress it again jane speaking into the Mm -hmm. mic and giving the whole community respecting sister monica joan and everybody has grown and is wonderful yeah exactly i love it yeah (sighs) so we'll play our interview soon about nora but let's just focus a little bit on she uh has this illegal abortion Mm -hmm. she has a perforated uterus which is they've put the instruments through her uterus instead of not because they don't know what they're doing yep even though this is something that this isn't their first time doing this yeah this is the woman that people go to she's known this is not something that would have been a secret it's an open secret yeah uh they gather around her to say goodbye her family thinks she's gonna die and then somehow she pulls through and lives it's and because she uh had a perforated uterus she no longer can have kids now at all so she got what she wanted in the end it's a happy ending it's a happy ending but it's not a happy ending it's the show is kind of pulling its punches a bit. I think in real life she probably would have actually died. Yeah. Though, who knows? It is a little bit like she survives and doesn't have to worry about kids anymore and does get the four-bedroom house. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. It feels a little bit like a dream ending. Yeah. Like it's almost like it should be. It's all a dream. She actually did die. (laughs) But... But I mean, it is a happy ending and it's, but it's also like, she still has eight kids that she wishes she didn't have to have that many kids. You know, like she's still, who knows what the outcome, the health outcomes are, you know, she recovered from that, but who knows? Who knows? And then, but I like the mature Jenny ends with her children and her daughters and her granddaughters would have what she didn't have. Mm -hmm. Things are moving forward. And there's two in this little ending. Before we get to the very, very ending, Mm -hmm. we have the scene that we didn't talk about with Anne-Marie that I want to talk about in post-abortion scene where Jenny comes to the apartment with Sister Mm. Julianne and it's all like there's blood and they're cleaning it up and Sister Julianne, Jenny is so distraught and like what she's doing was illegal mm-hmm. and sister julianne as in an attitude that we've seen from her many times yeah do you think i haven't seen this before nurse yeah like 
she just once again I'm banging this drum this episode, but like Sister Julienne's attitude here is the world is the world that it is. Mm-hmm. And you're uh, aghast about it. You need to be helpful. Yep. You need to clean up the blood and provide the care that we can provide. Do you think I haven't seen this before? Mm-hmm. I've seen this before and you will see it again. Yeah. Is implied. Mm-hmm. And Jenny says she kept asking for help we couldn't give her. And Sister Julienne basically says, so we give her the help we can. Yeah. And if that's not good enough, it's not good enough. No. But we can't turn the world into something it isn't. Mm-hmm. We're here, Sister Julienne says again and again. Yeah. We are here to help in the ways that we can. Mm-hmm. Even when that's insufficient. So let's uh, welcome our friend in. We're going to cut in an interview and then we'll say goodbye to you all on the other side of it. All right, so we have our friend here with us today. Her name is Anne-Marie Plenard and she is uh, our expert today on popular opinion. So I'll have her introduce herself and talk a little bit about who she is. So welcome, Anne-Marie. Hi. So I'm Anne-Marie and I have, well, I've watched Call the Midwife all the way through several times Mm -hmm. because I love it. Um, I also work at the Women's Health Clinic here in the city where I live, Winnipeg, and I've been there for three years as a medical assistant. So in that role, I do a lot of the sort of making sure the clinic stays running and we cover everything to do with women's health from um, birth control, STI testing. Uh, We have a midwifery program, an eating disorder program, a bunch of other things. And then of course we are one of the two abortion providers in the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was also a birth doula for eight years um, in between having my own kids. So I have kind of both halves of what's going on in this episode of Call the Midwife mm. as part of my experience. Yeah, we talked a little bit about doulas on the show that like they're not a midwife, but they're like a nice a nice in-between. Yeah. Between, yeah. So that's good. Um, so reflecting on this episode, this is the first episode of Call the Midwife so far that's, that's uh, brought up the topic of abortion. So I especially wanted you to mm-hmm. come on this episode. But also, it's just uh, interesting to have someone who has a background in in women's health on our episode. Mm-hmm. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, yeah no problem. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about your impressions of this episode and what what kind of things you like about this one in particular or thoughts you have. Sure. This episode is so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I cry in most of the episodes yeah. that I watch, but I think <laughs> this one is right up there as just one of the most gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many things that I appreciate about the way they handle the topic of abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, they show a woman who already has several children is in a loving marriage, like yeah. so loving yeah. That's sort of the key of the episode is they love each other so much that they are 
engaging in the basically the best thing that they have going and it keeps getting her pregnant mm-hmm. and she can't they can't support their children they love their children and want to take care of the ones they have they can't have anymore and I see that like I'm doing the abortion intakes and the people that are calling us are so often in this kind of situation mm. and they're sort of a pop culture idea that it's all teens in tough tough conditions and that's true but that's definitely not the whole story Mm -hmm. um yeah there are so many women like Nora who are wanting to um take care of the family that they already have and her um desperation is one of the things that just you know makes it one of the most crying episodes (laughs) absolutely um she is at a point of like being almost suicidal. She yeah. says outright that the baby's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. And she is walking into the whole, she knows what she's doing the whole time. She knows what she's doing. She knows that it might kill her. Mm-hmm. Jenny tells her that the only way to get rid of a baby is to practically kill the mother. And she already knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, and She's already probably almost halfway along. Mm -hmm. Um, It's heavily implied that she tried to do something herbal in the early stages and it didn't work. Um, And so then I haven't watched this episode since working at the women's health clinic and having a better understanding of the process of abortion. And it makes it all the more poignant because at this point, um, you have to do surgery. Like there's yeah. no easy way to get rid of a baby at this stage. It's you're really straddling the line of um, a miscarriage and a uh, stillbirth mm-hmm. when you get to this point. Um, so like it opens with her holding her belly and she's, so she's got the quickening mm-hmm. already. And I just like that makes it hurt more because she, is trying all of these at-home remedies and still feeling a living baby mm-hmm. and then spends a ton of money that they don't have to do what is essentially an unanesthetized uh, DNC, mm-hmm. um, which is not a pleasant procedure. No. <laughs> and the tools are obviously disgusting. Yeah. And so she ends up it's actually a real miracle that she survives at all. She has a perforated uterus at the end, and most people, even now, that's a difficult one to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking about that, that uh, it feels like this episode might pull its punches a little bit, that she does survive. That yeah. They didn't want to show what might actually happen. Or they mm-hmm. wanted to show it, but also they felt like it was too much you know yeah mm-hmm. which i don't i maybe i don't know i'm like a happy ending <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i know i i really was so they they really want you to feel like she died and then they show yeah. her in the very end there mm-hmm. um, it's interesting like they wanted i think they really wanted to make the point that she could have gone to jail for it even after all of that trauma yeah yeah, yeah absolutely uh that is even more devastating than all of the other pieces. Like she might have lost her whole family for it anyway. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the several times, like in terms of what you said about surgery is the only uh, reliable way to get an abortion in these in this time is said on mm-hmm. screen. Like they they say that in the course of the episode, yeah. Jenny says it that uh, yeah. and make like so the audience is clear that that's the case. Um, mm-hmm. It really does the desperation really comes across very strongly with how much she is aware that and all of these attempts can kill her. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She just talks about like throwing herself out the window. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they don't ever actually tell you what the bruise on her abdomen is from, but mm. that's one heck of a bruise. The moment when they real when Jenny realizes that what she's done mm-hmm. and gets Sister Julianne to come, uh, that's just really well done, I mm-hmm. think. And then Jenny's horror. Uh, she's so often horrified in Culpers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I I love Call the Midwife. Uh, I think that Jenny's progression through her seasons is so important to see her grow and like adapt to Poplar because that's not her world that she grew up in mm-hmm. or is familiar with. And she has to, like her eyes are really opened as she goes along, but she continues to have these moments of just total horror at what people are willing to do because of their place in the world. Mm-hmm. And Sister Julianne is always just so like, I have seen this before. This is not the first time someone has tried to get rid of a baby that they can't take care of. Our job here is to support her where she is. Like mm-hmm. our moral outrage doesn't make this problem go away. Mm-hmm. She needs care. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are I can probably go on for an hour on all the reasons <laughs> I want to be Sister Julianne when I grow up. <laughs> the, <laughs> the attitude, I mean, we've pointed it out a number of times, but Sister Julianne's basic attitude that comes up again and again of like our duty is care mm-hmm. and it's not uh outrage and it's not like it's not anything else mm-hmm. and she comes back to it again and again and every time that jenny is like outraged either at or on behalf of the <laughs> women of poplar either way mm-hmm. sister juliana always comes back to that's not our duty mm-hmm. yeah and it, I think that Jenny will become very similar, like as she gets older, because mm-hmm. she feels the same way that Sister Julianne does. She just doesn't know exactly how tough things can be in a place like Poplar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and this is a big eye-opening experience mm-hmm. for her because she really did. I don't love her approach, and obviously that's what you're supposed to feel the -hmm. way that she talks to Nora about what she's trying to do and tries to warn her. And like, why do you have Epsom salts? Why do you have a bruise? What are you trying to do? That's not safe. You're going to really hurt yourself. You have a whole family already, but that sort of appeal to guilt and propriety is she's well past that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Jenny is fulfilling her role of doing as much as she feels that she's able to do without, like, she can't physically stop her from 
having an abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't stand there and watch her the whole time, but she can try and impress on her just what a serious thing it is that she's attempting. So as much as Jenny is sometimes frustrating to me, I really <laughs> appreciate the, the way she is portraying that particular type of wanting to care and help without necessarily all of the tools that would be valuable. So now that you are working in a more, in a, you know, 2020 context, well, let's say 2019 context, because 2020 is a garbage fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in a more of a 2019 context of like, uh, we ha- abortion is legal and people can get birth control. Do you feel like this situation is completely in the past or is this something that you still might see this desperation and, and whatnot? The desperation is definitely still there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of reasons why birth control doesn't do its job. Like it fails or people don't use it the way it's intended mm-hmm. or like, most birth control does have a bit of a failure rate attached to it. So you can still get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's the back alley abortion with dirty tools is mostly a thing of the past, but even that is not totally gone. Mm -hmm. And some of the, the pushes to uh, recriminalize abortion are really horrifying because that's what will come back. Mm -hmm. People will never stop having abortions. Yeah. It's a thing that exists because that is just how it works. Mm-hmm. Getting pregnant is a huge undertaking and it's not always a joy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the availability of birth control and the access to abortion in most places in Canada uh, has meant that if you need one, you can get one mm-hmm. and it will be done professionally and safely. My clinic, which is not the perfect place, but they really do try their best. Um, one of the things that is really important about it is that we don't require um, parental consent and we mask all of our charts. So like that's, a, that's the other side of abortion is when you're doing it without other people knowing about it Mm -hmm. Um, that can be really tricky if you're trying to go through your family doctor and the way the way it played out in poplar in the episode i think probably uh, most people in poplar knew that nora got an abortion yeah yeah she was screaming at the door and they got into the fight and um, she didn't show up and then the nurses and the midwives went running and like she was at clinic pregnant and then wasn't people are going to know what happened yeah. and the consent piece around abortion it continues to be an issue when um, parents are able to access the files of their children or spouses are able to access mm. files um, And that's something that is really important to us at our workplaces, keeping those things um, hidden when they need to be. Mm -hmm. Even in our enlightened age, birth control and abortion can still be stigmatizing, Mm -hmm. um, can get you kicked out of your family, can get you in a lot of trouble. So do you think that shows like this, like Call the Midwife, uh, do you have a positive impact in showing like what things used to be? to influence people to know that like 
hey, even if you're anti-abortion, we need to have abortion still. <laughs> <laughs> I think that knowledge is really valuable. And so having portrayals of abortions in the past and then there are other shows available that are starting to show abortion more widely mm-hmm. um, to I think of most recently our sex education on Netflix and then shrill Lindy West's show mm-hmm. they both have abortions in their first season and I think that that's really helpful to have a number of stories around them so that it's not just the ideas from um like conservative propaganda type things Mm -hmm. that are trying to convince you that they're evil and horrible and always a trauma because they're not. Mm -hmm. And also showing that before they were legal and before they were safe, they were a really scary thing. Mm -hmm. Very deadly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else to say, even on like the episode as a whole? Just watch it called The Midwife. Last thoughts? <laughs> well, I just have to say that the scene with um, the abortion happening and then cutting to Trixie getting ready for her oh, catastrophic oh. day is just, oh my goodness. I know, right? Oh, oh my goodness. So well done, but so like harrowing. Oh. So you like doing yeah. your nails and filing your cuticles. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really effective to show, it's showing the process without being so overtly graphic. Mm -hmm. It's a subtle way of showing the graphicness of what she has to undergo. So it's rough, but I think it's really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And also, I just want to say... Trixie is my favorite, and my heart absolutely breaks for her in this episode. I know. We've been watching it from the beginning, and and like Trixie can be kind of horrible, especially in the first (laughs) season. But this is one of like the moments that really humanizes her and shows her like like her vulnerability and yeah, it's awful. (laughs) Yeah, and she just gets better. Oh yeah, over the course of the second season, I feel like her they've established already Jenny and they've established a fair bit of chummy and mm-hmm. then season two you get to see a lot more of Trixie mm-hmm. all of the depths she seems so flighty and blonde and ditzy in the first season and there is so much more to her than that yeah there exactly is. it's true all right so thank you so much for joining us we'll hopefully have you again on in a future episode awesome that would be great yeah. Um, and thanks for lending your expertise and your insights to our episode. Thank you very much. You are so welcome. Thank you so much to Anne-Marie for guesting on our show. We hope to have you on again in the future. And we know certain episodes that she wants to be on. If you know of or are someone who has some expert knowledge on women's health, mm-hmm. uh, please get in touch with us. Before we head into how to contact us, what was your favorite part of this episode? I can't. I think my very favorite part of the episode was Jane speaking to call, <laughs> speaking in public into a microphone to call Sister Monica Joan to be the judge to mm-hmm. get everybody their happiness. Uh, and if I can... The, the one I can hardly choose between that 
is take that off for your before you go to hell <laughs> is also there's a yes. lot of there's a lot of sadness in this episode yeah. and i'm choosing the uplifting happiness i am also choosing it because my favorite bits are the kitchen of destiny <laughs> And the slow build-up of Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette and him kissing her hand is just, whoa, he kissed her on the hand. There's acknowledgement that I know. something is going on there. It's like the, I mean, yeah. Oh, oh. Exactly. So that is my favorite that bit of this episode hot. because also uh, it is also a very sad episode and there's a lot to think about and a lot to talk about and episodes of TV like this have have shaped some of my views on abortion and seeing that it was something my mom used to say to me because I, I was raised in a you know Christian world where it was very you know abortion is bad and wrong but my mom who's a nurse would say from day one like I may think it's morally wrong, but it cannot be illegal. Because if it's illegal, women die in back alley abortions. Yeah. And that's not okay. Yeah. So that is a belief that I have was taught as a young girl and a belief that I still hold is you cannot make it illegal. Illegal abortion illegal making abortion illegal does not make it go away no and i'm glad that shows like this bring that into light yeah so if you have <laughs> comments about this episode it might be a little controversial i don't know if you have if any you thoughts have any... about abortion please let us know all of them <laughs> all of them wow <laughs> no okay but if you have thoughts on this episode of called midwife any episode of called the midwife if you like this show, you can give us a rating on your podcast player of choice. Usually Apple Podcasts is the one that brings it about the yeah. things. We like to Apple Podcast is the one that everyone judges based on. And yep. if you like us on Apple Podcasts, more people will see us and then listen to us. And then that'll make us happy because exactly. it always is very uh, rewarding to know that things you're making get heard by people. Exactly. Uh you can contact us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. We are, you can also email us poplar at clockworksacademy.com. And lastly, if you like what we do, if you want to make us smile, like Paul just said, uh, you can support us financially uh, for as much as you want over on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. So thanks for listening. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion.